Welcome to another edition of Round 3 Speak the Podcast, that intro brought to you by Solomon Black. Find him at chrisblackohio.com. You have joined in for a special episode today, one which we intend to cover respectfully, logically, and with sensitivity. Before we get into that, we should introduce the team that we have here today. I am the author, Scott Barnes. With me is Patrick Henry, a licensed engineer, blogger, patriot, and founder of Republic of Truth. Also with us is producer Mercy Warren. You can hear her give fun insights and opinions on movies and TV over on our spin-off show, Round 4 Brackets. Not here with us today is former intelligence analyst and financial analyst, Mr. Lawson. It's not the same without him, but looking forward to having him back soon. So before we get into today's topics, let's bring in Patrick Henry and have the headlines from him. Patrick Henry. Thanks, Scott. Lawson, uh, get well soon. Um... Yeah, we were hoping to do this live episode outdoors, but the weather did not cooperate, so we are in a tiny room, but whatever, it's fine. We got good acoustics in here. So here's the the latest headlines. I will do this in five minutes or less. Okay, so first we have um, the Rockefeller Foundation is funding a study to better understand how health mis- and disinformation spreads, how to combat it, and how to build stronger information systems while increasing COVID vaccine rates. And you can find that on the RockefellerFoundation.org website. Then we have the Kissinger Conundrum. This is from UnlimitedHangout.com. It's a good special report about the history of the World Economic Forum and how it ties into Henry Kissinger. We have a mentor of Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in a Connecticut apartment. That's from ZeroHedge.com and in other sources as well. We have Ghislaine Maxwell's own lawyers are now suing her. That can be found in the New York Times and many other sources. We have more money for Big Pharma. The Biden administration announced $11 million for monkeypox vaccine production. We have... A study out of ahajournals.org showing the risk of myocarditis for young men is worse after the vaccine than after COVID. And by young men, I mean under 40. The CIA is being sued over alleged spying on lawyers and journalists who met with Julian Assange. That's out of Reuters. Julian Assange is someone who we should uh, discuss more on these podcasts. Um, we have the state of New York created a list of areas where guns are now banned, gun-free zones, after a Supreme Court ruling. They're trying to fight against the Supreme Court and say, no, we have a right to say that you, you can't have a gun in these certain places. So I'm sure that'll end up in court eventually. Um, we have... The judge, uh, a federal judge, strikes down Texas law barring adults under 21 from carrying handguns. Because uh, if you're 18, to 
the 21, it violates your constitutional Second Amendment right. Um, we have some Pakistan floods. One third of the country is underwater. And you can see this as a couple of different uh, causes. You can say climate change, or you could possibly say geoengineering. Speaking of geoengineering, uh, this is out of Business Insider. China is deploying two huge drones to seed rain amid record drought. So um, China has been very big on the weather modification and manipulation. They've created snowstorms and uh, rainstorms, and, and they're doing it right out in the open. Um, we have, uh, let's see, a very creepy bill passed in California, one that allows the California legislature to punish doctors for whatever they deem as spreading false information about COVID-19 vaccines and treatments. So I don't like the idea of leaving it up to the government to decide what is allowed to be discussed, especially when doctors are saying something. If doctors are saying the vaccines cause myocarditis, we should listen to them and not listen to bureaucrats at the California state level saying that that's uh, misinformation. Um, we have a, a weird article about smart thermostats. Thousands of Excel customers are locked out of their own thermostats during an energy emergency. So they go to adjust their air conditioning and they can't because the government has uh, taken over their thermostat. Now this is something that they signed on to as part of a pilot program. However, um, seems to me like something that could be mandatory down the road. Uh, that is out of the denverchannel.com. Um, we have something out of Substack, which is a, a very good spot for free speech. Uh, this is Steve Kirsch on Substack. He is an engineer and writer. Um, he published a new ivermectin video, and it's a must-see. I watched it myself. It's only about seven minutes long, I think, five to seven minutes, somewhere in there. And it is a great video showing a compilation of the importance of ivermectin and how censored it was to even discuss ivermectin as a possible treatment for COVID-19. And uh, I think that's about it. My time's basically up, so I'm going to throw it back to Scott. Thank you, Patrick Henry. It's good to have your headlines back in an episode again, having you here with us. And uh, hopefully, uh, Mr. Lawson, if you're listening out there, you can uh, remember some of these topics and bring them up next time. I know how you like to have your back and forth with uh, Patrick about these things. So looking forward to that. So the topic of today's show is a very important one. For the first time on our show, we want to get into 9-11. And for most people, that's all you need to say is 9-11. And that instantly sparks something within you. You know what it means. You know what those numbers indicate. 9-11, the events that took place in 2001, are foundational, world-changing events, which has been analyzed, studied, scrutinized, and debated for over 20 years now. But if you take anything against what the official narrative is, you're labeled a conspiracy nut and un-American for asking any questions about this pivotal moment. In my opinion, it is more un-American to not ask questions and just accept the outrageous misinformation from high-ranking officials and powerful elite who have profited off this traitorous event. I can assure you, the listener, that while we will give some opinions on certain aspects of this topic, we will only deliver facts when it comes to information. We are not going to spread any misinformation 
We're not going to say, we're not going to be the tinfoil conspiracy nuts that say this was caused by aliens or, you know, something that you hear, you know, laser beams, laser beams, any of these things, you know, that, that, that any of those kind of things discredit the work that people actually put in and the people that suffered from this. The hope is that more people will ask questions about these events and someday answers are given. While 9-11 is too broad of a topic for one show, we will give our biggest and strongest points and arguments on this before diving into individual topics on later shows. So something that many, most people don't know about and something that is discussed even less is Tower 7, the third building to fall in New York City late in the day on 9-11-2001. According to the official story of the day, Debris that was ejected from the North Tower started a fire in Tower 7, even though it was not hit by a plane. Several other buildings stood between it and the Twin Towers, and those, damaged while, those buildings, while severely damaged, did not collapse. There is no impact damage from the debris, debris that can be seen making any contact into Tower 7, but this, is still somehow caused, this still somehow caused the building to completely fall in 6.6 seconds at around 5.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. There has been recent buzz on Reddit about Tower 7, as many people had no idea that it even fell on 9-11. Most people only know the two buildings fell. There is a ton to get into this episode about this event, and luckily we have a licensed en engineer here to help us understand some things about Tower 7. I'm just going to say one last final thing before I bring him in, and first give you a little history on the building. It was a 47-story tall it was 47 stories tall and completed in 1987. It was developed by Larry Silverstein. Tenants of the building included ITT Hartford, an insurance group, American Express, the IRS, U.S. Secret Service, and CIA offices. Some three to 4,000 documents and active cases from among those officers were lost when the building fell. So I'm gonna bring in now Patrick Henry, who has a really extensive knowledge on this building. Um, I've spoken to him many for over, well over a decade now like 15 years probably about this and uh he's one of the best people i think i've spoken to uh when it concerns this so patrick henry thank you scott um yeah so we're going to cover 9-11 in this episode and i think we're going to do kind of a broad brush here about the various questions that people have about 9-11 and uh this this is not going to be the only episode that we do on that because it is such a massive undertaking to there is so much evidence that so many questions out there that I don't think we can cover it all. Well, I know we can't cover it all in all one episode. So I will start off here with just some quick facts about Building 7. Scott mentioned some of them already. but So um, the destruction of World Trade, World Trade Center 7 exhibited the characteristics of a state-of-the-art controlled demolition with explosives. First of all, the building fell down almost symmetrically straight down, which requires a precisely timed pattern removal of every column. And I believe there is a 80, 81 columns in that building. The overall building mass fell uniformly through what was the path of greatest resistance straight down at free fall acceleration for eight stories. Free fall accelerations means there is nothing underneath it everything was pulverized into dust as the top of this building came down. The 47-story skyscraper was completely broken up 
in just 6.5 seconds, I know Scott said 6.6, but whatever, it's a similar difference, into a compact pile of debris only a few stories high, centered on its original footprint. A single localized failure, i.e. this unseated girder, could not cause the system, systematic and total failure of 400 other structural steel connections per second. So what that's about is NIST concluded that the entire collapse happened at one specific failure point where a girder was pushed off its support due to the heat of the fires and they neglected the connections that that girder had to the slab above it which would have prevented it from shifting. They neglected that, which allowed this girder to shift, and then they just said, and everything else started collapsing after that, instantly. Um, the massive steel structure of this fireproofed steel frame building could not have been almost completely destroyed by isolated pockets of fire. This computer simulation bears basically no similarity to the manner in which the building actually came down. You can compare it to a video of the building falling down, if you can find one, because the internet has scrubbed most of the videos of Building 7 falling down. Um, there's other stuff uh, to get into as well, but one of, the, one of the main points I want to get out there is that the University of Alaska Fairbanks um, published an entire study, 125 pages, that can be found online. Um, you can go to ae911truth.org and you can find it through there. And this study shows, well, I'll, I'll just read the conclusion here. The principal conclusion of our study is that fire did not cause the collapse of WTC7 on 9-11, contrary to the conclusions of NIST and private engineering firms that studied the collapse. This conclusion is based on a number of findings from our different analyses. Together, they show that fires could not have caused weakening or displacement of structural members capable of initiating any of the hypothetical local failures alleged to have triggered the total collapse of the building. Nor could any local failures, even if they had occurred, have triggered a sequence of failures that would have resulted in the observed total collapse. Near simultaneous failure, I'm still quoting from the study here, of every column explains the collapse. The secondary conclusion of our study is that the collapse of World Trade Center 7 was a global failure involving the near simultaneous failure of every column in the building. And this is self-evident if you watch the video. Every column had to fail at the same time. This conclusion is based primarily upon the findings that the simultaneous failure of all core columns over eight stories followed 1.3 seconds later by the simultaneous failure of all exterior columns over eight stories. So I highly recommend people find this University of Alaska um, Fairbanks study. Um, and I think that, so as Scott says in the introduction, I'm a licensed engineer in the field of structural engineering. And uh, I can tell you without a doubt that buildings don't fall like this. You don't have simultaneous collapse of every column at the same time. Now, I know that some people think that the Miami building collapse was similar, which means 
that this can happen. That is a different type of failure. That building that collapsed in Miami, the condos, um, was a different type of construction. It was concrete, reinforced, and um, it was poorly designed and poorly constructed, as the lawsuits will show over time about that collapse. And um, you're allowed to ask questions about that collapse, um, but you're not allowed to ask anything about World Trade Center 7. But uh, the Miami collapse, they're doing all kinds of studies for what happened there. Um, and like I said, it's a completely different type of construction. So that collapse is not proof that these buildings can just fall out of nowhere at free fall speed. Um, but again, I want to point everyone, everyone to that um, Alaska Fairbanks study. And uh, I'm going to throw it back to Scott to see what he has to say. Yeah, very well said, Patrick. And this leads me to something to where, and I've said this multiple times on the podcast, but I'd like to say it more often just in case we have viewers, or sorry, listeners listening for the first time. And that is that the greatest victory that the other side, the people that caused this to happen, have done is to convince you that what you see with your own eyes is a lie. They warp information. They talk about how it's luck or miracles certain way that certain things happen. But they have still convinced you that what you see in front of you is a lie. Because you don't want to believe it sometimes. You don't want to believe that what we could be saying could be true. And so they have done these mental gymnastics on you. Or us, too. I mean, because we, we all fall victim to these. And it's just easier sometimes to believe what they say than to accept the reality of it. And especially concerning, concerning Tower 7, not just the um, structural part of it, and what, what we see, you know, the building collapsing in 6.5 seconds, is the other things that happen on that day that just do not add up. The BBC reported, I'm sorry, not just the BBC, but the CNN did also report that the building had collapsed before it did. They had had information beforehand that it was going to collapse, and they reported it early. This leads to something that Richard Gage, who is a controversial figure right now, unfortunately. Um, both Patrick and I have heard him speak in person, uh, not, well, over Zoom, uh, in the past, and I've actually spoken to him. And while controversial, he did extensive work and research on Tower 7. And from the way that he has described it, he... What his, I think it was his belief anyway, is that there were multiple attempts throughout the day to bring down Tower 7. And that's why the information by CNN or BBC, the BBC, I'm sorry, I might have said something different earlier, but the BBC is that they had it beforehand and were going to report it, but that they had tried to demolish the building earlier, like closer to when the towers fell in the, in the Twin Towers fell in the morning. Uh, Tower 7 did not collapse until 5 o'clock that night. So he believes that it was tried, they tried to, you know, something went wrong with the demolition and that caused it to be delayed. And, but they were still committed to bringing it down because of the, as I said in the beginning, the records that were in there. Um, the fact that, you know, all these different agencies had different um, information storage there, many of which could not be recovered afterwards. You know, the untold data and insurance and everything in there that could have linked these people to this event were gone, demolished. No backups were kept. Um, also, Mayor Giuliani's bunker, emergency bunker, was listed in that building and had been, had been recently renovated 
for $15 million to be able to withstand these kind of things. And so the bunker itself was gone. Everything was destroyed in that building, everything. And so these kind of things, when you add them up, they just do not make sense. You, you, you get lost sometimes in, in this rabbit hole of like this information because all these are facts. We're not making these up. These are actual facts that happen with this day, yet you're still convinced they're not real. So I'm gonna turn it back over to Patrick here that I've said on this building. I mean, also too, like something else. I mean, the Hudson River was two blocks away from um, Tower 7. They said they couldn't get enough water in there to put out any of the fires. So for seven hours, they couldn't figure out how to get water from the Hudson River over to Tower 7. Or, you know, I mean, these kind of things, it's just, it, it's infuriating sometimes. <laughs> it's hard to keep your cool sometimes just reading these things and looking them up. So uh, Patrick, uh, help me out here. Yeah, so you you covered a lot there and there's so much to say about building seven alone um and like i said if 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 it's true that that building could not have been brought down by fire and it's true that you can't have every column fail time simultaneously without um controlled demolition um then a lot of questions follow who planted the um who planted the demolition devices in that building uh why is the media covering it up you know from building seven uh, it basically it basically can turn you into a red-pilled conspiracy theorist uh because it has to i mean there's no way that that building could fall in the way that they said it so first you know there was a 9-11 commission report it didn't even have building seven in it they didn't cover it at all so people were like well how did that collapse so then they came out with a model nist came out with a model of how the building collapsed and people asked for the data that they used to generate that model and they refused to let people see the data because they said it concerned national security um then then you have strange things like scott mentioned that the bbc reported the collapse before it happened and cnn did as well um and you also have a video of larry silverstein saying so Larry Silverstein, he owned the property. And in his video, in his interview, he said, we, you know, we had such terrible loss of life that we determined we had to pull it. So we said, get everybody out of there, and we pulled it, and we watched it go down. That's almost a direct quote. Um, but you can watch the video yourself to see the, the direct quote. And uh, later he tried to say that pull it meant pull everybody out of the building. But at the time that he said it, it seems pretty clear to me he's talking about pooling it, which is a term that um, people use in controlled demolition to um, pull the building, to bring it down. I mean, look at it. It's actually a well-done controlled demolition. It's better than some of the controlled demolitions that you see of other buildings. Um, this was a highly skilled team that was able to, to pull this off. Um, I will throw it back to Scott in case uh, there's some more he wanted to get into about Building 7 or if you want to... Uh, Talk about some of the other events on 9-11. Yeah, and I'll wrap it up really quick here with uh, Tower 7. It's, it's something I think we need to dive into uh, in more detail in another episode, but I wanted to bring it up here. Um, but one of the things ex especially to look into with um, the events of 9-11 is that in the history of these kind of structures catching on fire, only three buildings have ever fallen due to fire. Like, you know, uncontrolled fire, as they, as they say, 
caused the tower, Twin Towers and Tower 7 to go down. And those are the three buildings. No other building in history has fallen due to fire like this. There are multiple videos and reports of uh, apartment buildings or office buildings just as large as Tower 7. Fully engulfed in flame. Like, multiple stories. Um, 20 stories in call, in, in, involved in flames. Burning for somewhere between 13 and 19 hours. Including buildings 3 through 6. Yes. Which were closer to buildings 1 and 2. They got completely pulverized. And yet they remained standing. Building 7 was had a couple fires that were manageable, that, that the fire department was saying were manageable fires, and the whole building collapsed instantly. Right. And even still, when other buildings collapse due to fires or any, like, not, and they haven't collapsed due to fires, but when they do collapse or portions of the buildings collapse, they don't fall at free fall speed, which is what we saw not only in Tower 7, but in the Twin Towers as well. They do not fall in free fall speed like that. They, they, it's more like a house of cards. If you t- they take out, they go level by level, and the existing structure will collapse the one below it. But it takes a, it takes a long time to do that. And the way these buildings have been designed, from my understanding, is that the exterior of the building can sometimes fall, but the columns inside, as, as uh, Mr. Patrick Henry alluded to, he said before, there's 80 different columns inside those. 80 columns being demolished is 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 mind-boggling. It cannot happen like that. The skeleton of those structures should have been remaining while maybe the outside floors would have collapsed. These were taken down from the inside. Um, and they, and also, too, the, how quickly the rubble and the evidence was, just, was gotten rid of. The new building that's there now, was start, was, the construction started in 2002 and was completed in 2006. So, again, just like the Twin Towers, all the evidence of those buildings was just scraped away and from some accounts taken to China where they were demolished or melted down or dumped into the ocean in some cases. And they destroyed the evidence of what was there. So that's the last I will say on Tower 7. Yeah, and I almost uh, completely forgot to bring up here um, a key eyewitness, which was Barry Jennings. So he worked in the building. Um, You can find his interviews. Probably use DuckDuckGo to search for it because I don't think you'll be able to find it on Google. Um... He said that there were explosions from the base of the building before the building came down. And so he left with, I believe, a firefighter. And the firefighter said, don't look down when they were in the lobby walking out. And he said what what he realized was they were stepping over bodies. People had been blown up from the explosion at the base of that building. And you need an explosion at the base to weaken the structure to begin the process of a controlled demolition. So he was a key witness who later uh, died under mysterious circumstances. And the private investigator that was investigating his death actually gave um, the people who hired him their money back and said that he can't do that investigation, that it's national security. Can't, he can't look into it. So Barry Jennings is a, is a key witness who we've lost. Uh, rest in peace, Mr. Jennings. But he gave a critical piece of uh, information in that interview. Yeah, before he died, exactly, too. And that's uh, another char- uh, person we would like to delve into in future episodes. Not just him, but other people that died on 9-11 that had connections to these um, these events. All right, so as we move into our next topic here, I'm going to bring up, um, basically for me, this is my smoking gun on 9-11 as a whole. And that is the Pentagon itself. So on September 10th, 2001, Secretary of State Donald Rumsfeld spoke about $2.3 trillion in missing Pentagon funds that were lost from the plane hitting the Pentagon. 
So, people, please, just stay with me here for a second. This is not even a conspiracy theory. These are facts. There are 85 cameras pointed at the Pentagon. It is the most highly surveillance building in the world behind only the White House. Reports very well substantiated that agents confiscated videos from hotels, gas stations, and anything else that was close by is a fact. Why were those videos confiscated? I know, like, this is one of those things you hear on a radio show or something out there, like, you know, come on, like, why, you know? But seriously, think about that for a second. Why were those videos confiscated? Why were those cameras shut down? If a plane had hit the Pentagon, how is there not one video? The only thing we see is those three stills that show a brief explosion and nothing in the stills are the pictures that look like a plane. There is no plane debris of any kind outside the building. Nothing to indicate a 757 Boeing jet hit the Pentagon. Think about this for a second here too. Like, Loose Change does a good, a good job of showing how big a Boeing 757 is, but understand these numbers. A Boeing 757 has a height of 44 feet, a wingspan of 124 feet, and a length of 155 feet. It has an operating weight of 255,000 tons or about 82, I'm sorry, pounds and 82 metric tons and a fuel capacity of almost 11,500 gallons. Most of the fuel was unspent when the plane supposedly hit the building. So the explosion that we see, even in those, still, even in those stills, should have been far larger and sprayed oil and fire all over the building and all over the lawn. This did not happen. The, the part of the Pentagon that was hit was mostly closed for renovations and was the only section of the Pentagon that had recently been renovated to withstand any kind of impact of this magnitude. And it's also the section which housed the missing trillions. As Patrick Henry said earlier, actually in our pre-meeting here before we recorded, if this was orchestrated by some factions in the government, they didn't want to destroy the entire building. But they did want to erase evidence, do some collateral damage, and that they could live with. Because at this point, they don't care if 125 Pentagon employees and passengers died in the explosion. If they wanted to erase any doubt at all, the Pentagon, that there, this was not a cruise missile that hit it, show one video. Why couldn't they not do this? That alone, to me, points to conspiracy. That a untrained pilot a terrorist, they say, maneuvered the jet in such a way that a fighter pilot, a seasonally, like a professional seasoned veteran of, a, of the Air Force, could barely pull off this maneuver. How was he able to do it with a 757 Boeing jet when he had never flown anything more than like a Cessna, I think it was? He was able to do this impossible arc, fly a 757 level for hundreds of yards over a highway, a lawn, and only take out a couple lampposts along the way, which in almost any other, even with a 757 Boeing, should have probably torn off one of the wings. Something like the wings didn't hit the, the ground, the nose of the plane didn't get into the ground first, it hit perfectly into the Pentagon. And somehow, and the front of the plane, the, the, the cockpit is the weakest part of the plane. It somehow punched in further than the titanium and I believe 20, like our 
10, uh, this is where I, I don't want to get into misinformation, but the jet engines, the turbines, far stronger and heavier than the cockpit, did not make any indents. If you look at any picture on the Pentagon, you cannot see any indents or marks from the turbines hitting the Pentagon. But somehow the nose of the, pen, of, of the plane was able to punch through uh, like three different walls and get into the interior, far into the interior of the Pentagon. It doesn't take any common sense to question this. It really is them putting, you know, changing the facts to their, you know, to their own image to, to get these out. I'm sorry if that doesn't make sense. It's, it's like I said, it's hard to stay calm when you talk about this. I will give it to Patrick Henry. <laughs> well, yeah. So on September 10th, 2001, then Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, September 10th, announced that $2.3 trillion had gone missing at the Pentagon. The uh, investigation was taking place, I believe, and uh, I, people can fact check this, but I believe it was taking place in the exact spot that got hit with something. Um, you know, so I agree with Scott that I really don't believe that it was a plane that hit that because of everything that Scott just said. The maneuver was impossible for a brand new pilot who could not fly successfully a single engine Cessna. Uh, he was terrible at it. Um, and how was he able to do a, what, 270 degree yes. um, turn, almost at a complete circle, and going straight down level with the ground and smash right into the Pentagon in the exact place that had just been um, right. renovated and where they were investigating this missing 2.3 trillion that nobody talked about after that day. Obviously, there was bigger things to talk about. There was, you know, the quote unquote terrorist attack and there was who was responsible for it and let's go to war. And uh, that, that's something else we need to talk about is just the, you know, if, if anyone's asking, if anyone's wondering why would somebody do this? I think the why is easier. And I remember Lawson, this is a shout out to you. I remember Lawson said, the why is easy to figure out. Because uh, through 9-11, uh, they were able to go to war in Iraq. They were able to go to war in Afghanistan, which is great for the military-industrial complex. And they were able to pass sweeping draconian surveillance measures at home, um, mainly in the Patriot Act. So the Patriot Act was, as Ron Paul says, the most unpatriotic act to ever pass. Um, they, the, the Patriot Act uh, basically allowed them to spy on Americans. Um, they also created the Department of Homeland Security, um, TSA at the airports now uh, with you know, the pat-downs and the, the scanner. The, the scanner is banned in, in Europe, but they allow it here. Um, now, fun fact, you can opt out of that scanner. You do not have to go through um, because there are studies that show um, that that scanner is, is dangerous and could, could be cancerous. So you can opt out, but then you have to go through an invasive pat-down. Uh, every time I fly, I opt out of that scanner. I don't want to go through the pat-down, but I don't want to go through the scanner either. No, those are my options. So um, through 9-11, they were able to accomplish so much. And uh, it was that uh, former mayor of Chicago, oh, Rahm Emanuel, who said... Never let a good crisis go to waste. And uh, they called it the new Pearl Harbor. They, they actually said that before 9-11. They said they needed a new Pearl Harbor to bring about 
change that they wanted to get pushed through. They needed a big event. And 9-11 was that big event. Patrick brings up a really great point here. Because I get asked all the time, like, and we've talked about the Bilderberg Group and the New World Order in previous episodes, and if you want to get more insight into them, uh, I would strongly recommend going back and listening to those episodes. But because something I've gotten asked over the years as a 9-11 conspiracy theorist is, why would they do this? For money? And they kind of scope for that. For money and oil? And something that I always say back to them, and I'm both uh, Mercy Warren and Patrick have heard me say this a million times, not just money. More money than you can possibly conceive or imagine. We're talking on the terms of trillions of dollars, billions of dollars. And as Patrick said, you, do, you no, leave no crisis, you know, what was it? No crisis. No crisis go to waste. Go to waste. No crisis go to waste. So you're not only able to go to war with multiple countries, you're able to further research and development on these weapons. You're able to see how you can control people, how they're going to react to that control, how they're going to take all of a sudden if you know people are spying on you how people are going to go like how, how they'll react if they're like oh okay you know what that's if it's for the greater but greater good then it's okay you have the right to um to assemble was called a terrorist act after 9-11 you could not um assemble peacefully even if you wanted to to protest that was called an act of terrorism that's true donald rumsfeld spoke within weeks of 9-11 about chipping people it was shot down, but like that was those were the acts and the, the things that they were trying at the time. And taking away uh, Miranda rights. I know that was discussed, especially after the Boston bombing. Um, under the guise of terrorism, it really allowed them to do a lot of unconstitutional uh, taking away of, of liberties here, here at home. And, you know, a lot of times that was aimed at Muslims. And for anyone who just doesn't care, uh, that's going to be aimed at you eventually. It's, it's, you know, so you should care. And injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, as Martin Luther King said. But to build on what Scott said about the um, trillions of dollars, this article is out of CNBC, published September 10th, 2018, so probably even more now. The U.S. has spent $1.5 trillion on war since the September 11th attacks. The collective wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria have cost more than $1.5 trillion, according to a Defense Department report. Now, that's probably low-balling it, too. It's probably higher than that. So you combine that with the two-point-whatever trillion missing. Um, these, these, are, these are numbers we can't, we can't comprehend, these numbers. Um, and, you know, what could, what could you do with this money? So the military-industrial complex um, really gained a lot because of the attacks on 9-11, and the surveillance and police state at home gained a lot. And people like Julian Assange have tried to expose through WikiLeaks um, what is happening. And look what's happened to Julian Assange. I mean, he's basically being tortured. He's left in like solitary confinement. Um, he's lost a ton of weight. He's sick. Um, he's depressed, obviously. Um, he's treated so. The people who commit the war crimes are still out. Uh, free and the people who expose the war crimes are either dead or locked up or discredited that's another really big tool this is why when i broke up, brought up richard gage earlier it's hard to believe what you hear now because a lot of times people that speak out about these things and have evidence and facts and are good people all you have to do one time is just discredit them enough say that they are anti-semitic or have child pornography 
or had sex with underage minors or anything like that if they have drugs. That's all it takes, even if it's proved false later. That's all it takes to destroy your credit. You can lose your job, get kicked out of any, you know, out of societies or um, programs or committees that you were a part of. I mean, these, these, it's, it's the matter of public opinion. And when you have the media, and there's so many different accounts, too, of the media. And I hate to go down that rabbit hole of, like, the media is controlled by the higher-ups. But when you, what was it, like, that pyramid thing when you find out when you link all the different media networks and you can rank them all to the top and they're, they're all owned by, like, the same three people? Yeah, I think it's, like, five or six mega corporations yes. that own the media. And, again, too, if you're a journalist and out there trying to further your career, you're not going to fight back about these things and some of them do and they get destroyed i mean i, I remember I, I heard a recording one time of this one um i it was um well several people i remember the one that she tried to expose pizzagate and um even even if whatever your feelings are about pizzagate when you when you start trying to ask questions about those kind of things you lose your job you get threatened you get discredited and, and your, your life falls apart um even if she's wrong about that you can't punish somebody for at least doing investigative work and give them the chance that if they are proven wrong to go like, you know what, I was wrong. You know, that's that's what America is supposed to be. And it's so <laughs> it's so controlled now. It's so just taken away. Yeah. And when you talk about Richard Gage, um, look, if anybody has a problem with Richard Gage, forget about Richard Gage, the person. I recommend everybody look up his uh, it's like an hour long interview on C-SPAN. It's on C-SPAN. You can't get. You can't get much more legit than, than C-SPAN. Richard Gage was on there having a discussion about uh, 9-11. Now, he's a licensed architect, and he's the founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, AE911Truth.org. And there's a petition with over 3,000 signatories of licensed architects and engineers. There's a lot more signatories of unlicensed people as well. Um, listen to that interview and tell me that what he's saying is false. You know, I mean, everything that he says is completely legitimate, and he he really tries to stick to the issues. I've I've followed Richard Gage for uh, probably since two thousand eight, and um, he really does try to stick specifically to nine eleven and the facts about nine eleven. Sometimes, yeah, he'll talk about the COVID vaccine, but, uh, you know, the COVID, the COVID vaccine was another threat to our liberties. So why, why not talk about that? You know, it, it should be your right to choose whether or not you get that. So, yeah, every once in a while he'll branch out and talk about something else. But, um, you know, I, to me, he has not been discredited. And, uh, I, I, again, I suggest everyone watch his, his interview on C-SPAN. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I heard him speak in person, and I'm not just a homer for Richard Gage. I'm, I, when I first heard of the 9-11 conspiracy back in the day, when I was in high school, early high school, I was immediately outraged that somebody would question anything like this. And I'm still like that. I, I'm still to the point where I will not just believe you the first time I hear you. I will fact check on my own. I will back check you. And I will look into it on my own. And there's been a lot of conspiracies out there that I've heard that, sound fun and sound, you know, like, oh, this is interesting, that turn out to be completely false. And I will move on from those. Richard Gage, the same thing. I didn't just take anything that he said with the, you know, I, I didn't, t I took everything with a grain of salt. I didn't just blindly follow what he said. I looked into it. And when he used the scientific method for me, 
was the turning point. That, that was a big, you know, because, and he didn't immediately go into who he thought was behind 9-11 either. I remember when he spoke. He, he just laid it out that, hey, I'm a structural engineer. I've studied this for years. I've showed architect. people. He's ar- architect. Architectural. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I've showed people, other architects and other engineers, Tower 7 falling and asked them, what do you think they did here? And they go, oh, they did a really good job. But he didn't tell them it was Tower 7. And he's like, and then when he tells them afterwards, they recant what they said. And I know he's done that with many people. He's like, that's like, like, oh, yeah, they did a really good job. They took out the end, and it's nice, nice imprint. No, they did a really good job with the demolition. And then like, ah, did you know this was Tower 7? They're like, I'm not involved in this. I don't want to be involved. I'm not, you know, they take, take their statement back. And I want to give uh, Scott publicly uh, credit here. Uh, me, Scott, and Lawson go way back. And uh, I remember when Scott originally brought up AE 9-11 Truth, uh, me and Lawson kind of laughed it off and kind of, because back then it was about, what, 500 signatories on the petition? Something like that. Or 300. And uh, so Lawson and I would say, oh, 300 people, yeah, you know, 300 people say uh, the moon is fake. I remember that. Uh, So we used to make jokes like that. But over time, and as I got more involved in engineering, um, I started realizing that, oh oh my God, there's something to this. And uh, since then, 9-11 was the, the first domino that fell uh, to lead me to question um, basically the mainstream media on anything that they try and push. And what, what it comes down to, I know this is more of a 9-11 episode, but what it comes down to is um, question anything where the solution is to take away your freedom. If they have some some event happens and they say, well, the solution is take away your freedom, your rights, you need to question that. Um, it was Patrick Henry who said, um, guard with jealous attention the public liberty and question anyone who approaches that, that precious jewel. And that's true. Uh, be suspicious of anyone who says, uh, you, we got to lose a little bit of rights here and there, you know, and you know, that's why I respect Patrick Henry so much. He made sure that the Bill of Rights got put into the Constitution as the first 10 amendments. Uh, because the Constitution without the Bill of Rights is not that great, honestly. It was the Bill of Rights that ties everything together. It says you're born with these rights and government shall not take these rights away. So it focuses on the government and says the government, it doesn't give you rights. The Constitution does not give you rights. You're born with the rights. The Constitution restrains the government from taking away those rights. But 9-11, climate change, COVID, uh mass shootings, those all result in losing some of the Bill of Rights. Each one takes away some of the Bill of Rights. Patriot Act took away Fourth Amendment um, and First Amendment a little bit. Uh, you know, because if they're going to put security cameras in mosques, which are, I know people like Trump said to do, that takes away your freedom of religion. You know, government's not supposed to get involved and I'm spy on right mosques. Your right to privacy, yeah. Your right to privacy, which is a Fourth Amendment. Um you know, then you have mass shootings where they're like, well, we got to take away your right to keep and bear arms. Second Amendment. Um, COVID vaccines takes away any bodily autonomy that you had left. Um, so, yeah, when I, I kind of went on a tangent there, but it, it's all tied together. And it starts with 9-11. Yes. And for me, it's 
I could go deeper into this, and I will in a different episode, but, like, uh, for me, I know we covered JFK and his assassination before. I almost feel like when they got away with that one, and they found, they learned the lessons of how to manipulate the media, how to erase witnesses, how to massage and manipulate events to their story and their narrative, they use those same principles on 9-11. And that actually segues into my next point here. It's another thing that not a lot of people know about uh, that took place on 9-11 was the war games. So there were numerous war games and terror drills that took place during the real-time events of the plant, the hijackings. This led many air traffic controllers into confusion, confusion as to what was real and what was their training. The Bush administration had said publicly that no one in their wildest imaginations could have envisioned 9-11 happening the way that it did. When as far back as the 1960s, there are recorded scenarios where these are imagined. These exact scenarios played out. And that's, you know, they have the Pentagon and the CIA imagining flying planes into buildings as a false flag operation. And that's exactly what happened all along the East Coast on 9-11, where they were training for these exact scenarios. NORAD's, NORAD, the North uh, Strategic Air, oh my gosh, like NORAD, I'm sorry. It, their job is to protect the U.S. airspace. On 9-11, Vice President Dick Cheney was in control of their operations. This is the first time in U.S. history that a VP or president was put in charge of that military agency. Another coincidence that took place on the day. Donald Rumsfeld, three months earlier, had been placed in charge of the shoot-down procedures in case of hijackings. This took that power away from the generals to order any of these planes being shot down when they're heading towards their targets. The war games created false radar blips and sent military planes hundreds of miles, in some cases, out into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and took away any kind of response in a highly coordinated event. And that's why sometimes people are like, how can they pull something like this off? And I forget the exact term for it right now. I'm drawing a blank here. Where you have, it's like the delegation of your orders, where you can have, you're given only a small piece of the puzzle. And you're told you're ordered to do something, and before you realize it... Compartmentalize. Compartmentalize. I knew there was a term for it. Thank you. So you compartmentalize. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Where you have uh, aircraft traffic controllers. You have fighter jets. You have generals. You have aircraft air traffic controllers. All of them are given little pieces of something, and they're told to play the role, not knowing that it's in the bigger picture what they're doing. And you see that happening on 9-11. You don't have to... Nobody... Like, not all those people were involved in 9-11, and they knew about it. Like, the aircraft traffic controllers didn't know what they were doing. The fighter pilots didn't know what they are doing. They were blindly following their orders. And so you can have just a couple people giving out these orders. And all the people that were responsible for these, they said, like, their Air Force generals or the people in charge weren't punished at all. They weren't stripped of their titles. They weren't jailed. In some cases, some of them were promoted. (laughs) <laughs> that like li- literally looks like they look, look those facts up. The people that were blamed in the 9/11 Commission or for you know by different agencies, they were nobody was blamed or like reprimanded at all for allowing 9/11 to happen. So there's also the account. I believe it was also it was a interview on C-SPAN where there was um, a person who was in the office with Donald Rumsfeld while the planes were approaching their targets. They knew about it for over an hour. And an aide kept coming back in and saying the planes are 50 minutes out, they're 30 minutes out, they're within a couple minutes, do the orders still stand? 
And this links back to Donald Rumsfeld being in charge of the shoot-down procedures and not allowing like these planes to be shot down or intercepted in any way. He's basically yelled at the aide, yes, my orders haven't changed. Have I said anything to the contrary? And that is also a proven interaction that took place. So, when, again, when you start adding these things together and you start seeing them for what they were, the amount of coincidences that took place on that day on 9-11, 2001, you have to stop looking at them, at them as coincidences. Excuse me. These, I mean, these were carefully orchestrated and not very well pulled off. You know, they made mistakes that day. As we spoke about Tower 7 not detonating the way it was. Um, you know, different things that, you know, just being able to be caught on camera, like the Pentagon. Mistakes were made. Um, but they've still convinced us that this was all some Osama bin Laden in the cave, 4,000, how many miles, 1,000, 6,000 miles away on a laptop and a, and a flip phone in the mountains orchestrating these events. Yeah, and I just wanted to, um, you know, do a quick fact check or, or source on what you said about the stand-down order. Um, so Transportation Secretary Norman Mineta is the one who told the 9-11 Commission in 2003 that when he arrived in the Presidential Emergency Operations Center in the basement of the White House around 9.20 a.m. on September 11th, Dick Cheney, it was uh, not Rumsfeld, but Cheney, oh, was already there. Um, and the second World Trade Center tower was hit at 9.03. Mineta said that shortly after he arrived, he witnessed an exchange between Cheney and a young unidentified man. Mineta seemed not to realize the importance of what he was saying. Here's what he told the commission. During the time that the airplane was coming into the Pentagon, there was a young man who would come in and say to the vice president, the plane is 50 miles out. The plane is 30 miles out. And when it got down to the plane is 10 miles out, the young man also said to the vice president, do the orders still stand? That's the stand down order. And the vice president turned, whipped his neck around and said, of course the orders still stand. Have you heard anything to the contrary? Now he said that it was, it was in testimony. Um, so now I know that we said, you know, there's no video of a plane hitting the Pentagon, but the plane could have been what was carrying the missile that hit the Pentagon. That's where the theory goes there. Okay. So again, we don't have the facts to prove that that's what happened, but, um, the Pentagon, I mean, come on, the Pentagon is the most defended building probably in the entire country next to like the white house. Mm -hmm. Um, if a plane is 10 miles out and you're watching it on radar, obviously you can shoot it down. They have the capability to shoot it down. Um, why would they stand down? Why would they not do anything? Um, unless they wanted things to happen because of what happened afterwards. Namely, the Patriot Act. And, and the other thing that we forgot to mention, besides the Patriot Act, was the NDAA, which um, allowed indefinite detention of people accused of being domestic terrorists. And that was under Obama. And that still stands to this day. And people tied that to these Chicago uh, black sites, which were sites where uh, people were indefinitely detained without trial, without a lawyer, throughout Chicago. Yeah, I mean, and just in, in, in general, like the different people that the U.S. government kidnapped or tortured or sent away to Guantanamo or Europe to be tortured and try to get information from, which 
again, too, you got to wonder what that was. Um, Abu Ghraib. They did a lot of torture at uh, Abu Ghraib. People forget about that. Um, they treated people like like animals in Guantanamo Bay. Yep. Another thing where they tortured and treated people like animals with no trial, no due process. Just hey, you're a terrorist. We're going to torture you, and uh, you know you 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 have no right to a trial. And I think also they use that because I, I want to get into one more, one more thing here before we switch topics into the actual Twin Towers. And that was um, Anthony Bourdain. When he went overseas many times, the most common debate he would get into, especially in the Middle East, where the natives over there would debate him on who did 9-11. They all claim over there, hundreds of people that he spoke to claim they were not responsible for 9-11, that it wasn't them. It wasn't Al-Qaeda. It wasn't the Taliban. It, they believe it was the U.S. government who did it. And then Anthony Bourdain, you could almost see it in his face. He's like, here they come again, the, the conspiracy theorists. But when that many people come up to you and say that, I mean, maybe it's time to start listening. And also, I think what they did with the torture things, they didn't go after people who were responsible for 9-11. They just went after other people that were on their hit list or people they wanted to get rid of, and they used that as an excuse to get rid of them. Because it was easier to get these people saying they're under the umbrella of 9-11, and they can just take them out that way. The last part I want to get into here um, involving 9-11, and again, like we said, we want to get into each of these topics more detailed later, especially when we have Mr. Lawson back. Um, but it's actually the Twin Towers themselves. So not a lot of people know this, but back in the early part of the 19th, uh, 20th century, a B, fully loaded, mind you, a fully loaded B-25 bomber hit the Empire State Building. It caused something along the lines of 17 deaths and some a lot of damage. You can't even tell today that it happened but after that happened it became law that any building built i think in new york i don't know if just new york but also maybe throughout the country had to be built to withstand a plane crash so the twin towers when they were built in the 1980s or finished in the 1980s i believe they were designed to not only take a plane strike but multiple plane strikes they were designed to where if you hold up a piece of paper and poke a pen through it or something that's what it should have been like for the Twin Towers. So this leads into, there's just so much on the Twin Towers itself. And Patrick Henry will probably say some of these things too or go into more depth, but I just want to give some of the big highlights from that. And like I said, we'll delve into these in more detail later. But with the Twin Towers, some of the things you need to know, these are all facts. High military grade thermite was found in the dust and different areas of the buildings afterwards in the rubble. And some desks, I think a desk recovered from one of the office buildings. They found thermite in it. Just ask yourself, plainly and simply, how could high-grade military thermite be found in the dust? Just that right there. Molten lead or metal could be seen in videos flowing from the towers. This was not jet fuel. In fact, months after 9-11, there were still pockets of molten lead. Far hotter than the, the highest that jet fuel can burn at was found in, in the wreckage of the Twin Towers. So that's how hot the metal had to be burnt. And the only thing that could do that and form those kind of pockets is high military grade thermite. So a question that gets asked a lot is how could they get this into the building, the demolition in there to bring down the towers? Again, this is fact, Marvin Bush, the younger brother of George Bush, was in charge of Twin Tower security. The elevator shafts themselves were worked on week for two weeks, not long before 9-11. They were closed down at night. 
I mean, that should answer that question right there. So the Twin Towers themselves fell at near or at free fall speed. That is meaning of these 120 story structures that for most of their collapse, there was nothing left to support it at all. And as we spoke earlier with Tower 7, the skeleton of the structures, the actual beams inside them, the columns, should have been left standing. Maybe the exterior of the buildings would have fallen. The office buildings and everything like that should have fallen. But the skeletons of themselves, the buildings, should have been still 80 stories high, standing like there. But we don't see that. They were neatly, and in some cases you can actually see them, cut in half at an angle where the, at, the, at the bottom where the demolition was used to melt through the steel to cause a collapse. This is photographic evidence that's out there. Firefighters reached the 80th floors where the plane struck. They have recordings of them in the building saying that the building can be saved and the fires can be managed. Because jet fuel burns so quickly, the, there were, you know, desks and paper and everything that could burn and fire there, but there wasn't anywhere near the, um, the heat needed to bring down any of these structures. There's a difference of a thousand degrees between the melting point of steel and how hot paper or gas can burn. So finally to wrap this up, the fire was supposedly hot enough to melt the steel, is what they're saying, and cause the structural collapse. Yet, at the same time, the firefighters were able to make it up to the, to the floors, the upper floors. And don't forget this, one of the passports of the supposed terrorists was found outside the building. So paper could not burn and fall all the way to the ground. Yet and the firefighters could not burn, yet apparently the, the inferno was so hot up there that it caused the complete structural collapse of the Twin Towers. Uh, that is all I have for that part. Patrick. Yeah, so we're moving on now. We did uh, Building 7, we did the Pentagon, now the Twin Towers. So here's just some quick facts about the collapse of the Twin Towers. Multi-ton steel sections were ejected laterally up to 600 feet at 50 miles per hour, leaving expanding dust and smoke trails. A geometry caused by high explosives, not a gravitational collapse. Isolated high velocity ejections of smoke and dust documented at 200 feet per second, 20 to 60 stories below the progressing destruction zone, indicating explosives. The structural steel below would have arrested any collapse from above. But the destruction zone not only proceeded symmetrically downwards, it even accelerated through what was the path of greatest resistance, that same thing that happened with Building 7. <clears throat> Complete destruction of the towers occurred with an extremely rapid onset of destruction, shattering the structural steel frame. 180,000 tons of concrete were pulverized in midair. Almost all pancaked floors, floor trusses, and metal decking were missing. Massive volumes of rapidly expanding cauliflower-shaped pyroclastic-like clouds were produced, indicating large amounts of explosions visible all the way down the sides of the building. Over a hundred first responders reported explosions and flashes of light. Previously molten iron microspheres were ubiquitous. They were all over the place in World Trade Center dust comprising up to 5% of the samples. Thermitic reactions, as Scott mentioned, the thermite, can account for the spheres. Extremely high temperatures, far above those of normal office fires, 
persisted for weeks in the pile, as indicated by various sources. For example, infrared images by MTI, Earth data, and NASA. Engineers described the melting of structural steel in the debris pile. Melting of structural steel. Glowing yellow molten metal flowed from the 78th floor of World Trade Center 7, or sorry, World Trade Center 2. World Trade Center dust samples contained small chips of highly energized nanothermite comp composite materials, uniformly nano-sized, appropriately proportioned, and embedded in an organic matrix. Um, to, to build on that, on the nanothermite. <clears throat> in April 2009, a group of scientists led by Dr. Niels Herrett, an expert in nanochemistry who taught chemistry at the University of Copenhagen for over 40 years, published a paper in the Open Chemical Physics Journal titled Active Thermitic Materials Discovered in Dust from 9-11 World Trade Center Catastrophe. This paper, which reported the results of experiments conducted on small red-gray bilayered chips found in multiple independent WTC dust samples, concluded that the chips were unreacted nanothermite, a form of thermite with explosive properties engineered at the nano level. This is like military-grade stuff. This is engineered at the smallest levels. According to their analysis, the gray size of the chips consisted of high iron and oxygen content, including smaller amount of carbon, while the red sides had various features indicative of thermite and nanothermite. So, again, we have all these strange things. We have nanothermite found in the dust, which to me is a smoking gun. I mean, it's, it's done when you say there's nanothermite in the dust. Um, but for a lot of people, that's not enough. Um, and... You know, I'll throw it back to Scott, but I do want to talk about um, the elevators in a second as well. Yeah, so especially with nine, um, with, with the Twin Towers. And I remember one really very early on is one of the accounts that they said how the towers fell down was that the explosions at the top of the towers created some kind of uh, air force pressure like a, a, that went down the elevator shafts and blew out the bottom, which a lot of people reported seeing an explosion at the base of the, the towers when the planes hit it. So, and in some accounts, well, I mean, in very detailed accounts, those explosions happened before the planes even hit the buildings. And not only that, the elevators were designed in a way that you couldn't just take an elevator from the first floor of the Twin Towers up to the very top. You had to get off at something like the 20th or the 30th floor and switch to across the hall to a different elevator shaft that went up another 30 or 40 floors and then switch over to another one. So they were specifically designed so air, like anything, any kind of force or pressure could not go down the towers and explode at the bottom like that. Because the the first, the pressure, it would have taken more time than it did. But also it's not like the this this force of the explosion from the planes was able to make turns and, and switch and like wait for an elevator or do any of those things. They, that's impossible. I mean, when you think about it. I mean, you needed the shafts to be worked on. They needed to be taken down from the inside. And you have concrete proof that Marvin Bush oversaw this. And he's the unknown Bush brother. Like, you know about Jeb and you know about George uh, Jr. But you don't know much about Marvin um, and the, the kind of security work that he's been responsible for. Um, so for me, that's a huge smoking gun. And going back to the explosions at the base of the towers, 
which they have video of, they have recordings of. They they, they created seismic shifts when it happened, or when the top one, but it didn't, you, they could be seen in videos. The impacts of it, I mean, because you, you needed to weaken the structure to begin with, and a lot of people said maybe they were damaged in the 1993 terrorist explosion. From everything I've read, there's no accounts of that. You know, there's no accounts of that weaken the structure from a decade earlier. Um, but what we do know is, um, what was it, not long before that, Osama bin Laden did have, he was uh, taken to a CIA hospital in Saudi Arabia. So if, like, if, if Osama bin Laden was wanted by the FBI and the CIA for so long, if he was responsible for the USS coal bombings in Lebanon, um, or the Beirut bombings, why was he being treated? And again, too, if you look at, just not to segue too much into anything else, but look at Osama bin Laden videos, he never once takes credit in any of those videos. It looks like there's multiple people in different costumes in those videos. He's seen eating or writing with his right hand when he's left-handed. I mean, it's just, I, not to go off on a tangent again, I'm going to wrap it up here as we get into the closing facts or the closing statements, but just, it just gets so frustrating sometimes when you see these things and you, you want people to care more because it affected all of our lives in so many different ways. And especially the younger people today coming up who, you know, um, when Patrick and I, when this happened, we were in middle school, you know, I mean, we were in, I think, seventh grade. So you have people coming up now in their 20s who didn't go through that. The same way that our generation didn't go through the Kennedy assassination. But when, when things just don't add up and you, you can't be afraid to ask these questions, you really can't be, because it's just gonna keep happening down the line until it's finally too late to see. Yeah, I mean, if, if these questions need to be asked, if, if 9-11 was something beyond just terrorists hating us for our freedom, uh, then we got a problem here. We got a major problem, and we need to address that problem. We can't just ignore it. Um, we have to figure out what the heck's going on uh, because our kids, our grandkids, might um, have no freedom. They, they might not have the America that we knew uh, growing up. So I do want to cover the elevators real quick. So this is um, on AE 9-11 Truth website. Um, another unusual event, I'm quoting from the website, at the World Trade Center was that some of the elevators in the Twin Towers were out of service in the months before September 11th. This anomaly could be particularly significant in light of the possibility that the Twin Towers were brought down with explosives, since it has been indicated that the availability of unused elevator shafts would have made it easier for demolition workers to plant explosives throughout the buildings. At least one elevator that went all the way up the North Tower was out of operation before 9-11. Each of the Twin Towers had two passenger elevators that went from the base to the top of the building. Referring to one of these elevators in the North Tower, journalists Kevin Flynn and Jim Dyer wrote that the elevators ran directly from the ground up to the windows on the world, the restaurant on the top floors of the building, and it was out of service on September 11th. Apparently referring to the same elevator, ABC News correspondent Don Dollar reported on the morning of September 11th that a major elevator that went all the way to the top has been malfunctioning for at least a month. They've been having a lot of trouble with that, he added. In fact, according to a report by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, both of the elevators that went from the base to the top of the North Tower were out of operation on September 11th. 
Elevators 6A and 7A were out of service for modernization, the report stated. Some people who worked in the North Tower have recalled problems with the building's elevators just before 9-11, but it's unclear whether they are referring to these two elevators or to the other ones. Susan Frederick, who worked on the 80th floor, said two elevators had been out of service for more than six months before September 11th, as renovations were taking place. Nancy Cass, who worked on the 44th floor, stated that the passenger elevators on the west side of the building had been out of order for the past five or six weeks before September 11th. And the elevator company had a crew of men working on the scene. And Monica Goldstein, who worked on the 101st floor, told her sister that in the weeks just before 9-11, elevators skipped floors and went out of service. Then there's the South Tower. At least two elevators in the South Tower were out of operation just before 9-11. Each of the Twin Towers had 10 elevators that went up from the concourse to the 78th floor sky lobby. Judy Wine, who worked on the 103rd floor of the South Tower, recalled that two of these in her building had been out of service for months before September 11th. That's the South Tower. And someone who was on the 78th floor of the South Tower when the plane crashed into the building on September 11th, mentioned elevators that were being repaired there at that time. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of evidence that those elevators were closed for months or weeks uh, before 9-11. Agreed, yeah. And something we can definitely get into more in depth in another episode, um, as I said here. Um, so as I do my closing arguments, was there anything else you wanted to add here, Mr. Patrick Henry, or...? Um, let me take a look at my notes here. I know you mentioned uh, Marvin Bush. Yes. Um, yeah, according to this, this website, and this, I will say, needs further fact-checking. I'm not sure how true this is. But this says Marvin Bush uh, was a principal in a company called Securicom yes. that provided security for the World Trade Center, United Airlines, and Dulles International Airport. The company was backed by... Kawam, a Kuwaiti-based investment firm on whose board Marvin Bush also served. According to its present CEO, Barry McDaniel, the company had an ongoing contract to handle security at the World Trade Center up to the day the buildings fell down. So, um, yeah, that's that's a Bush brother who no one knows anything about, including me. Right. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, like, another thing, too, because you just reminded me, was the put options, and Mercy Warren actually brought this up too in our pre-meeting, um, how the put options uh, on for 9-11 were so much higher, like like 800, like, I won't give it a number if I don't know the, the right number, but much, much, much higher than should have been, or normally was, uh, for the put option. And I remember um, there was a documentary I saw, and I'm only bringing this up just because it's, it's I, if somebody knows it out there, please let me know, because it used to be on Netflix, but there was, they actually found two people who put out those options and both made somewhere like one made $12 million from betting against uh, what happened on 9-11 and another one made over $20 million and one of them fled to France and they actually tracked this person down and tried to get an interview out of him um, but he, he hit himself very well and but they know that they existed they know that these there, there were people out there even on the lowest end made millions of dollars from 9-11 they knew it was coming like there's people out there so even if after everything we said, even if you don't believe this was a inside job, 
at the very least, you can't deny that there was a conspiracy, that Rumsfeld knew this was happening, that Cheney knew this was happening, that other factions within the government knew that something was happening, even, even if this was, and, and like the, how much I'll concede into this point, is that even if it was terrorists from Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, anywhere, like from the Middle East, they knew what was happening and they didn't stop it. And you can make that argument for Pearl Harbor as well. But at the very least, they knew it was going to happen and they allowed it to happen. That is like the lowest part of my argument that I'll go to to show that at least, you know, that it wasn't just something that happened and we were caught completely unaware. Unaware. Yeah, there's a couple more things I want to get out there just before the episode ends here. Uh, in January 2008, Fujita, a member of the Democratic Party of Japan, asked the Japanese parliament and Prime Minister Yasuo Fukuda to explain gaping holes in the official 9-11 story. So, um... Japan was actually beginning to look into it in 2008, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. I also want to mention Dr. Stephen Jones. People just need to look him up. Use DuckDuckGo. He did a great job exposing the nanothermite into dust. He's a scientist and professor. Um, There's also something I wanted to read real quick from family members of victims of 9-11 being upset about... Uh, so Spike Lee was going to do a documentary about New York in general, and the last episode was going to actually have elements of 9-11 Truth Movement in it, and it was pulled. It was pulled before the episode aired. <clears throat> and um, the, the victim's family members were very upset, so I'll just read this real quick. Um, it was with profound disappointment that we learned last night this was written on August 27th, 2021, from news reports that 30 minutes of Spike Lee's HBO docuseries addressing the destruction of the Twin Towers and Building 7 would be removed from the final episode, which airs 20 years to the day since the murder of our loved ones. We have been shocked and appalled by the media's misleading coverage of Mr. Lee's take on the not-debunked scientific evidence regarding the building's destruction and by the crass labeling of each person in the film who questions the government's account including the two of us writing this article as a conspiracy theorist we are not conspiracy theorists we are family members seeking the truth about the murder of our loved ones you can find that on uh, ae911truth.org on an article titled censored 9-11 family members call on hbo to restore final episode of spike lee series so i wanted to make sure i got that out there before we wrap this up I want to say I'm glad that Patrick brought that up, too, because um, that's something that's always overlooked here, the 9-11 families that want answers yet are shut down so many different times. There's so many uh, records and, and, and stories of them getting shut down when they try to ask questions. I can't remember. I think it was Bill O'Reilly. Or, no, Sean Hannity. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity. When he had one of, like, the, the son of one of the slain members of somebody in 9-11 that was in the towers, and he's like, your dad was a great American hero. Like, you know, so sorry for your loss and blessing and God be with you and all these different things. And the guy's like, well, I think we need to investigate more into 9-11. And all of a sudden he's like, you're a junkie. You're a dishonor to your father. You're a dishonor to your country. You're scum. And he just turns on him so quickly. When And you can see the look on this. I think it was like a teenager or young, you know, young man's his face just because he's trying to speak up and go like he was trying to honor his father in a way. And Sean Hannity started telling him how he should be thinking. And that's something I think that is lost in here is the 9-11 families. So that's uh, what I have to say before I get into my final statement here. Patrick? Yeah, I'll just give my final statement. Um, 
there's not much more to say. Look, we're going to have more episodes about 9-11. We'll have Lawson on uh, when he's feeling better. (laughs) We will discuss, we'll get his point of view on this as well. Uh, I'm sure he has some disagreements with what we said. I'm sure a lot of people listening have disagreements with what we said. If you do, submit questions. We'd love to get your questions. We'd love to be challenged on these points. Um, It's actually more interesting when there's challenges to what we're saying here. And we're, we're also, we're not afraid of people disagreeing with us. Um, we're trying to get to, the, all we're trying to do is get to the truth. We're trying to get to the truth. That's all that matters. If the truth is that Osama did it with 19 hijackers, um, fine, so be it. All I want is the truth. But the truth to me is that planes and fires could not take down these buildings, especially Building 7 and the other two as well. Um, that's what I'm hung up on. There's stuff about the, there's questions about the Pentagon, um, and there's other questions in there, but to me, those buildings just couldn't have fallen the way that they did from an engineering perspective. So we need to ask these questions. We need to get to the truth of what happened. That's all I want. Uh, that's all I want is the, the truth. Throw it back to Scott. Well said. And actually, yeah, it's funny because over the years that I've debated and researched 9-11 topics and theories like this i can actually at times make the people that i've debated i can actually make their argument um against a conspiracy theory better than they can because i've looked at both sides so much and i've actually i know points that you know the points they try to make at the points they want to make yeah to build onto that i had a professor uh where i went to college who said that the dust from the first two towers hit building seven and that's what caused it to fall down and I told him, that's not even what the official report says. This is a professor at, at a college who um, is supposed to be an engineering professor about building collapses. That was specifically what the class was about. And the, first, he didn't even bring up Building 7, by the way. We watched a uh, two-hour-long documentary that didn't touch on Building 7 at all. So, of course, I asked the question. Uh, being the instigator, I asked the question about Building 7. He said, oh, we'll get to it. And then he said, oh, the dust brought it down. I said, well, that's not even, you know, the official. So like you said, you can make the argument better. So can I. People don't even know what, what, uh, what the official ar- argument is. Um, you know, they think it's the dust that hit it or whatever. No, the, the official argument is that it was fires that caused Building 7 to fall by pushing a beam off of its seat, which is just ridiculous. And their models ignore connections that that beam had to the slab above it, which would have prevented it from slipping off of its seat so it throws their whole uh, theory out of out of whack but anyways i just wanted to uh throw that in there that anecdote yeah no and i'll I'll build on the one last time here because another thing too is you're researching these out here what what gets really frustrating sometimes is that when you look up the first thing when you google google something or DuckDuckGo, a lot of times it's like debunked like you know conspiracy theories debunked or like this is what like conspiracy theories hate to admit and what they do is they find the most obscure crazy arguments for these things that it was laser beams or something like that or somebody from the future like these crazy things that like and they don't even touch on the points that we brought up in this episode today. So when you go out there and do your own research, as I'll say here at the end, make sure you do it the smart way. You have to do it. You have to find the right channels to do it because you're just adding validation to the other side that we're crackpots and we're conspiracy nuts and we don't know what we're talking about. So like Patrick said, we will get into these topics in more detail later and we aren't trying to cash in on this time of year either for 9-11. 
Unfortunately, most people only remember or care about 9-11 around this time of year. When you're watching the ceremonies and moments of silence and flags waving and military salutes commemorating 9-11 before football and baseball games coming up here, think about what you are actually honoring. The victims of 9-11, the soldiers who died, and not only them, but the civilians in other countries who lost their lives, their homes, their way of life, for a conflict lasting 20 years now, over 20 years. Think about what they lost as a result of a military industrial complex that ran amok unchecked. So in closing here, I'd like to thank Mercy Warren for being here and helping us with this episode. A speedy recovery to both Mr. and Mrs. Lawson and a very special shout out to Patrick Henry, one of my best friends of over 25 years, easily over 25 years. We have been friends. We don't always agree on everything, but we do agree that you cannot believe what you're told blindly and that there are those out there who will do the most evil acts imaginable to achieve their goals at the cost of your life and your freedom. Please, like I said, fact check us, research on your own, and ask questions like Patrick said. We love to ask, ask questions, and if we don't know, we will find out. And if we, don't, if we can't find it out, if we don't know, we will concede to the point that you are right, if we, if we can't. So again, thank you out there. Find us on Round 3 Speak on Facebook under the Scott Barnes name. I wouldn't let me put Round 3 Speak as my name. Stupid Facebook. But the, you can find the Round 3 Speak logo and banner um, under Scott Barnes. Also find us on Twitter at Round3Speak and an and email at rd3productions at yahoo.com. Thank you again out there. Hope you join in next time for our next show when we get Mr. Lawson back in here. So with that said, play us out, Mr. Solomon Black. Dying of thirst, trying to find an oasis. Finally paying for all the time that I've wasted. I said life is a race, but I was driving mistakes. See, the truth will shine a light on all your lies if you face it. So that's why you might hate me. At a party, won't play this. If I tried to be basic, I would finally be famous. I could be crowned for a favor. I could be drowning in paper. I could have all the kingdoms of the world. I'm bound on the saying. Matthew 4 9, if you doubt what I'm saying. Matthew 6 6, keep it down while I'm praying. Revelation 1 9, I'm on.